Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for loving us and thank you for waking us up. Uh, Father, we thank you for an opportunity to come and hear from your word, a chance to ordain um, Joshua into ministry. We thank you for uh, all those who have guided him to this point, and uh, we thank you for this church. I just ask that you uh, would bless our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's really two types of people when it comes to talking about their jobs. There's the ones who talk about it and let you know how much they hate it. And then there's the ones who so annoyingly love their job, they make you hate that they have that job. And so it's a little awkward this morning to come and talk to you about my job and Josh's job and, and some others here today's job. But it's important as we get ready to ordain Josh today that we understand really what ministry is. And some of you think that that may be dumb. Of course, we know what ministry is. We know everything that's about it. I mean, after all, you, you tell us how to do our job every week. And it's, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just joking. Some of you tell us how to do our job. But it, go, it should seem like you should go without saying ministry is important and that, that we need it. And it may seem like it's not that big of of news. But unfortunately, the number of churches that are shutting their doors and the number of churches that are still open, but when you walk in, there is no truth, there is no love, there is no grace, leads us to believe that we may have misunderstood what ministry is. And so this morning, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 3 and 4 as we take a look at what ministry is and then why it's so important. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's giving him instructions on what to tell the people who are there at his church, those who are going to be overseers and elders and deacons. Starting in verse 1, he said, Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace into the devil's trap. Paul gives, because he's a minister, three points that we have to understand today about what ministry is about. Verses 1 through 3, he makes it that, or makes sure to note that the first priority for a minister is to take care of their personal relationship with God. Now, you can read verses 1 through 3, and you can see a lot of these are mentioned elsewhere in the Bible as tasks that we all as Christians should be doing. We see self-control, and we see being hospitable. We see things like this. But there's a phrase out there, and I want you to continue to listen after I say it, because it seems really conceited for a minister to say this, but stay with me. There's a phrase out there that says, The requirement of a minister is to be just like everyone else, just better than them. Now, this is what they mean. Not that they have this great crown, not that they're higher and mightier than you, but because if somebody in the church, if a lay person loses their self-control, well, they're still in church on Sunday. If a minister does, they might be out of a job. 
And so they pointed out, it's, it's not that you're not sinful, it's just that as a minister, you have to be on your guard. You have to make sure that you're taking care of your personal relationship with God is because if you neglect that, everything else is going to fall apart. Notice the second part, verses 4 through 5. Ministers must take care of their own families. Now, I hate to tell you this, but you are not my first or second priority. And you should not be the first and second priority of any minister as a church. It's pretty clear that your first ministry is to take care of yourself, and the second is to take care of your family. After all, look what Paul says. He says, if someone cannot manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? If a minister cannot take care of their family, this doesn't mean a minister has to be married. It doesn't mean that they have to have kids. But if they have a family and the minister neglects that family, they're not going to be able to fully and adequately minister a church. And so Paul, in this step process, says you've got to take care of your personal life. You've got to take care of your family life. And then comes what we think is the biggest job as a preacher, but really it's the third priority, and it's this. You must take care of your community. Verses 6 through 7. You have to take care and love those who are in your church, but also those who are outside of it. In other words, when a minister's name is spoken in the public square, people shouldn't get scared and they shouldn't roll their eyes and they shouldn't feel anxious. The minister should be a minister of not only their church, but their community. They should be held in high regard. The words here, it says, they should have a good reputation. Now, this is what ministry is, is supposed to look like. This is what a minister is supposed to do. And it's a pretty big task. It's a pretty big task to see all of these things that you have to do. And you really have to do it constantly because one slip up and someone's going to say something to somebody else and there's going to be issues. And so this is, this is a big deal. So how do you do this? Well, after Paul gives a charge about what elders are to, to be and to do, he, he notes this. In verse 14, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from where true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Paul says the only way you do what you do is if God, if Jesus is the source of everything. If Jesus is not the source of what you do, and this applies to ministers and everyone else, if Jesus is not the source of what you do, it is not going to do what you think it is. It's not, you're not going to be who you think you want to be. If Jesus isn't the source of it, it's not going to end up bringing praise to him in your life. How do you make sure that you do all of these things that are listed here? It's that Jesus has to be the source of it. You have to be a minister because you love Jesus. You can't just be a minister. You have to be a husband or a wife here in this church, in your families, because you love Jesus. Because if you don't, there will be strain in that relationship and that relationship is not founded on something that lasts. You have to love Jesus. Jesus has to be the source of what you do as individuals, but especially as ministers. The only way that the ministers are able to do what God calls them to 
as if they're constantly being poured into by God himself. Now, this is why it's so important. Verse four, or chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in a prayer. If you point out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has a value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. Command and teach these things. Why does a minister have to make sure their source is Jesus? And I say this with all love in my heart, because if their source is you, you will lead them astray. Because you want to hear a certain thing is true. If I wasn't a minister, I would want to hear certain things are true so that I can maybe behave in a way that I wanted to behave, accept things that I wanted to accept, and skirt around those parts in Scripture that I don't really jive with. That's our human inclination, is that we kind of want to do things our own way. And so if a minister goes into life wanting to please people, they will not be a minister. They will not be a minister. You see, ministers must stay true to the Bible or they're not ministering to anyone. There's too many ministers who are health and wealth gospel preachers. Too many who are self-help speakers. Too many that are community organizers. And too many that are just cashing a paycheck. Ministers whose source is not the Bible, they are not being ministers. What ministers do has to come from God. It has to be from Him and through Him. They cannot go sit down and plan their day out in all the things that they want to do in the church in the next seven years without first asking God what He's up to. Because then you're just doing things on your own. Ministers need to be this way. Now we've talked about what ministers are called to be here. Let's show why it's so very important. Verse 12, Paul says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So why is ministry so important? It's because for better or for worse, the people go where their ministers go. For better or for worse, 
the minister isn't doing what they are called to do, those who they are over will go in a way that is not good. You see, the church's atmosphere oftentimes, this programming, the everything is kind of dictated by the truth of a minister or a ministry staff. That's why when a minister falls out of, out of their positions, when they have a huge stumble, people don't come back to church. I've heard stories within here of, of families where a minister did something, maybe not even unethical, but just didn't rub them the right way, and they haven't been to church since. And so it's important for a minister to do all the things that are necessary to lead a church because if they don't, they will lead a church somewhere other than closer to God. It's important that ministers do the right thing. And as a result, it's important for you to pray for your ministers. Because the truth of the matter is if Satan can get at a minister, the Satan, Satan can get at a church. If he can lead a minister astray, he can leave a church astray. He can ruin people's idea of what churches should be and should do by infecting and leading a minister down a path that they don't need to go down. And so it's important for you to pray for your ministers, to pray for those in positions of leadership, because Satan is out to get them as he is out to get you. But he knows that if he gets a minister... He can often get more people along with him. And that is why it is so important for you to pray. Today, as we ordain Josh, we need to understand that we're not just going to have this service, lay hands on him and wish him the best of luck. We need to be praying for him. He is right now, in his current capacity, influencing those who are the most impressionable people in our church, that is our youth and our children. That is not an easy task. It's a very difficult one. In 11 years in youth ministry, I realized how important it is to have someone there who knows the Bible, who invests in them, and to make sure that they're leading them in the right way. So you need to be praying for Josh now. You need to be praying for Josh in the minister he's going to be in five years and in 10 years, and in 20 years. You need to pray that the things that happen now direct his life and let him learn so that he can become a minister, or continue to be a minister that he wants to be, that God has called him to be. And so this morning, I hope that you understand why ministry is so important. And I hope that you'll make a conscious decision to make sure that you're praying for those who minister to you. Today we're going to have an ordination service. This is an opportunity uh, that the leadership here at this church has, uh, has accepted that, that Josh is called to ministry. And this is the elders and the leadership in this church sending him out to be, to be a minister. And to ordain him in the ministry and to basically stamp a seal of approval on you, Josh. That's basically what's happening. That's why I wore a tie. Uh, these words were carefully poured over by our leadership to make sure that it got across the importance of ministry, but also the importance uh, of, of supporting Josh and praying for his ministry.
Throughout history, God has called workers to carry out his will. You think of Noah, who was chosen to survive the flood and ultimately saved human family through the building of an ark. Abraham was a, a great man of faith chosen to be a patriarch of Israel. Moses, the man of God, was called to deliver God's people from the land of Egypt and from bondage. Jesus chose 12 men to be his apostles. The early church set those apart, called to a special work through the laying on of hands and prayer. And we come today to formally ordain our brother Joshua Richardson to the work for which God has called him. We seek to honor and glorify Jesus Christ as we set apart our brother for this purpose. Let's pray. Lord, your word calls us all to be ministers chosen by you, a royal priesthood. But for some of us, you have made a special calling, a calling to be a leader among those who come together in corporate worship, to be your speaker, to share your words, to help us interpret your words, to help lead us uh, through the dark valleys and know that you're there. We pray for Joshua and his as he uh, enters into this time, that it's not something that he's taken lightly, but it's something that he's prayed over, shared with his family, and something that will uh, be with him forever. So as we begin this time together as a congregation, as uh, a fellowship of believers, as friends and family, to Josh and Kayla, uh, may we do so in such a way that we encourage him and set him apart to do your work and to be a man after your own heart. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, as Jared, <coughs> excuse me, as Jared mentioned this morning from Scripture, there are places in Scripture that tell us a that we are all to, to go out into this world and to make disciples of all nations. Uh, that's in Matthew chapter 28. But above and beyond that, uh, Paul and others, when they established the early church, uh, they knew the importance of having elders and deacons. And for that, they had specific requirements and uh, those kinds of things. So today, Joshua has come forward uh, we are presenting him as one who has accepted that calling. And we as elders and ministers in this church have considered this call and Joshua's ability to answer it. We believe that God has called him into Christian ministry. And today we present him to you to be sent out, ordained by this church. So, Joshua, have you, Joshua Richardson, prayerfully considered the responsibility of living and preaching the gospel? And have you weighed the work Involved in the sacrifices you may be called upon to make? I have. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that the Holy Scriptures are the Word of God to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Him? I do. 
Are you motivated, not out of desire for position or earthly gain, but by the love of God and your fellow men and the wish to glorify him and save them? I am. Will you strive to build up the church, the body of Christ, to prepare God's people for works of service, to labor for the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God? I will. God gives me strength. Will you endeavor to live a life of love within your family and in the community and so draw others to Christ through your example as well as by your word? I will. You have heard the promises of our brother, Joshua. Will you, as members of God's church, affirm this call and accept Joshua Richardson as an ordained minister of the gospel? If so, answer, we will. In Acts 13 we read how Paul and Barnabas were sent out, ordained by their local church in Antioch. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit through the church. Today, we have a charge that we will give to Joshua as a congregation. Over the course of his ministry, Joshua will be a minister to all people. Young, old, women, and men. Today, a few of the youth from East 40 will come and give a congregational charge on behalf of this church and any future church that Joshua will serve. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, and be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. <laughs> we want you to be responsible for saying and acting among us what the Bible says about God, His kingdom, and the gospel. We need help in keeping our beliefs sharp and accurate and intact. We know that we are launched on a difficult and dangerous journey of faith and that there are strong influences intent on destroying it. So preach. We know that there's going to be we know that there's going to be days and months, maybe even years when some won't feel like believing anything and won't want to hear God's message from you. And we know that there's going to be days and weeks, maybe even years that you won't feel like saying it. It doesn't matter. Do it. You are ordained into this ministry, vowed to it, so correct and rebuke. We want you to always tell us about the hope we have in Jesus. We will always need help remembering the hope, that hope in the midst of tragedy, pain, and suffering in our lives and around the world. We know that you are with us on the same difficult journey in the same dangerous world. We know that your emotions are as fickle as ours and that your mind can play the same tricks on you as ours. We need to stand firm on the cornerstone of our faith, Jesus, as you help us do the same. So encourage. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all duties of your ministry. There may be times when some may come to you to demand that you to demand that you tell us something other than what we are tell, telling you now. Promise that you won't give in to those demands. You are not the minister of our changing desires or our time-conditioned understanding of our needs or our secularized hopes for something better. Your task is to keep telling the basic story of Jesus, representing the presence of the Spirit, insisting on the priority of God, speaking the biblical words of command and promise and invitation. Please stand and let us now read a charge together to Joshua on the screen for all of us to see. As a congregation, the body of Christ, we charge to you these words and promise to keep you in our prayers as you carry out this charge in the present time and in all the days to come. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16 says, if you, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with this godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given, given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Scriptural charge, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Now as an elder myself and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you to tend to the flock of God that is in your charge, exercising the oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you to do it, not for sordid gain, but eagerly. Do not lord it over those who are in charge, you charge, but be examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will win the crown of glory that never fades away. Please be seated. Throughout scripture, people laid their hands on someone to show a gift of God or a charge from God being transferred from one person to another. In Deuteronomy 34, we read that Moses transferred the spirit of wisdom to Joshua through the laying on of hands. In Acts 6, the apostles laid their hands on the first deacons 
or servants for the church. In Acts 8, Peter and John laid their hands on the Samaritans who received God's Holy Spirit in them. In Acts 13.3, the church laid hands on Paul and Barnabas to give them God's charge. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, Paul asked the gift given to Timothy through the laying on of hands from the elders. The laying on of hands is powerful, which is why Paul in 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Do not ordain or lay hands on anyone hastily. Today, after a thorough examination, we lay our hands on Joshua to give him this special charge to ministry. Joshua, if you'd stand down on the floor here in front of us. I'd like to ask the elders, uh, the deacons, uh, all the family members, if you would. Uh, if you can't reach Joshua, you'll reach someone who reaches Joshua. And then anyone in the general congregation that would like to become part of this laying on of hands, please come forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for another day of life that you blessed us with. And God, we, we, uh, God, we thank you for being a great and an awesome God. And God, we thank you that, uh, that you allow us uh, to, to be able to, uh, to share your story to be able to, uh, to have a part in furthering your kingdom. And God, right now as we, uh, as we come to you and as we, uh, as, as we uh, lay hands on Josh, God, we pray that, uh, that God, you will, uh, that you will continue uh, to be with Josh as, as, he, uh, as he carries out this calling that, that, uh, that you have given him. God, we pray that, uh, that, that you give him the wisdom and the knowledge uh, to be able to, uh, to do what it is that you have asked him to do. God, we pray that, uh, that, that Josh never forgets today, that he, he always remembers uh, being surrounded uh, right now at this very moment by, the, uh, by those who love him. And God, we pray that uh, when, when times get tough, uh, that he'll always remember that there, uh, there are other people uh, in, this, uh, in this journey as well. And that, uh, that God, that this is not something that, uh, that you ask him to do alone. So, God, we pray that, that, uh, that we continue to lift Josh up as well. God, we thank you for his family. We thank you for Kayla. We thank you. We, we know that, uh, that, that uh, ministry is, uh, although it's, it's Josh that's being ordained today, God, we know that, uh, that, that Kayla will uh, for sure have a, a huge part uh, in his ministry here at East 40 and, and, uh, and, and throughout his life. So, God, we, we thank you for Josh and, and, uh, and we thank you for his willingness to, uh, to answer this call uh, that, that you have given him. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.